0: Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross-Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Now, if you've read the Gospels, I know you have, Bob. People may be familiar with the conversation when Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate. He said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate's response was, what is truth? And that's what I'd like to talk about tonight. And I want to give one more little introduction here. I have a book on my shelf. I have a huge library, as I'm sure you do. And I, one of the books on my shelf is called, I'd Like to Believe in Jesus, But...
1: Oh, I've and- heard of that book, Jim. <laughs> you know, I heard that the guy uh, that wrote that is really good, really good.
0: It's a great book. Listeners out there, there will probably be a plug somewhere during the show. Uh, We talk about that book in the breaks, but it's a great book answering questions, serious questions that need answers. And I want to read two lines from that book. The first one is, If there is a God, would he not be integrated with reality? If there is a God, would he not be integrated with reality? And then the other line which is kind of a frightening thing. When it comes to religion, most people are not interested in truth.
1: Yeah, it is it, like- it is interesting because when people say God doesn't belong in the classroom, that the classroom is for science, we're going, well, hypothetically, if there is a God, he couldn't be more integrated with science. But they're starting with the assumption that he doesn't exist. That's the problem. And we never question those yeah.
0: assumptions. And the classic scientists in history, most of them believed in God. Oh, of so course they, maybe did. they- Maybe even if they were just theists or whatever, and that's not a bad word, really. I consider myself a theist, in the broad umbrella, Christianity is a system that believes in a creator who created the universe, so that's a very broad, simple understanding of theism, and so Islam and Judaism and Christianity would all i think fall under that umbrella but most of the scientists in western culture were believers on some level so it they believed in an
1: orderly universe and then in time they got um, so arrogant they threw out god and you can't have an orderly universe apart from god yeah, yeah. i know people so, will make the claim that you can but it's really rationally impossible
0: Well, and I know you've done well in your career with having discussions and debates with such people. And it's always interesting to listen to those things because at a certain point, a switch is flipped where we cease to be logical or use good premise, premise, conclusion, that type of thing that used to be taught. And it's more based on feeling or what is politically correct or those kind of things. But I'm gonna make a statement here. I believe that truth is reality From God's perspective. Truth is reality from God's perspective. So, any way that we apprehend truth or come upon truth, we're really tapping into what is reality for God. And of course, He does reveal truth to us because that's the reality that He exists in. So, the first question here, and I will just have, I don't know, I won't call it a debate, but we'll just kind of do some role playing here. So, the first question I have is Does truth exist?
1: And the answer would be yes, and even those that try to say there's no such thing as truth betray the fact that they really believe in it. When they say there's absolutely no such thing as truth, they're making what they are calling a truth statement. They're speaking the truth about truth, supposedly.
0: (laughs) Exactly, that's the irony of that type of thinking. And I think there's a reason people buy into those positions, because there's a concern about what the truth might dictate to them when it starts to deal with their morals and their actions and that sort of thing. So I would agree, I I think we'll go with the premise that truth does exist. Because if you say it doesn't, you've got yourself in a big circle there, you're in trouble. Now, if truth exists, is truth knowable? Can we actually know the truth? And it's the same problem with that question. To say, no, you can't know the truth is assuming that it's true, that you can't know what is true. Yeah, if they
1: wanted to be a little yeah. more philosophically consistent, they could say, I'm not sure if anything is true. But more even honest. then, they're yeah. sure that they're not sure of something. So they're even sure of that. So it, it, <laughs> yeah. it gets, it gets yeah, it, into gets into evasive uh, quicksand there.
0: Yeah, but it's amazing how many times people will just throw those statements out like that. I believe that truth exists, and I believe that we can know the truth. Which brings me to one of the most misused terms, a very popular term, a phrase that is used in our culture. I've heard it in pop music, in movies, politicians say it all the time. It's actually even carved in stone in the original CIA headquarters building. And that is this, the truth will set you free. We hear that all the time, right? The truth will set you free. And and I know you know... And of
1: course, the founder of those words is Jesus.
0: Yeah, and there's more to that statement. It's actually a conditional thing. He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples or students or followers, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it isn't just a free ticket, it isn't it isn't a get out of jail free card or a free pass at, at Disneyland. You have to continue in his word, abide in his word, live in his word, stay there, and then you're his disciple, his follower, and then you will know the truth and then The truth will set you free and of course when he said that the pharisees got all up in arms and they said we've never been slaves to anyone well that was even a lie because you know they've been slaves to babylon slaves to egypt and at the time they're occupied by rome but he wasn't talking about political freedom he was talking about freedom from the bonds of sin and deception and the unreality that the enemy of our soul would try to brainwash us with. So he said, you can be set free and it, it's by truth, but it comes from listening to me and following me. So the truth will set you free. Sheryl Crow used in her song. I heard it just recently. I was watching a, a movie and, and the guy just kind of threw that out there. Well, the truth will set you free. And Most of these people have no idea where that came from or who said it, but uh, you set the record straight. Jesus is the one who said that. And, and it is true that the truth will set you free. (laughs) One of my favorite books, in fact, it's probably my favorite book in the Bible, is uh, 1 John, John's First Letter Epistle. Very short book, but it's just jam-packed with truth. And John uses the word no 26 times. in, In the Greek it's the word gnosis where they get the word gnostics. And I think that he deliberately did that because he was battling with these people. I don't think they called themselves that at that time, but it's a label we came up with later. It was like the first Christian cult. And so he was refuting them saying, this is what we know. And I'll give you a few examples of his 26 uses of that word. We know that we have come to know him. We know that we are in him. We know that we have passed out of death into life And this is one of my favorites. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. So certainly the apostle John, and I'm sure all of the apostles reading the the letters, and the gospels, all believed in truth. and They believed that you could know the truth and they were solid in what they had come to believe and to know. And that's a a big part of what John's first letter is. And he starts off saying, we know this. We saw it firsthand. We, We touched him. We saw him. We gazed on him. This is not a rumor. This is no fantasy. I was there. I saw the whole thing, and it really happened, and we know it. What you and I and people in our era 2,000 years later, we have to come to a point where we can solidly say, this is what I know is true. There are truths that I need to base my life on, because if I don't have a solid foundation based in real truth, reality from God's perspective, my life will spin out of control. And uh, I think we're seeing that on a societal level right now. More about truth. Jesus told the woman at the well. It's a great story. You know, here's this Samaritan woman. I won't break into song. I usually do the guess who song, you know, Samaritan woman, but I I won't do that to you tonight because my allergies are bothering me. But he told this woman who had asked him, she said, Well, our people say worship on the mountain, your people say worship in the temple. And she immediately wanted to get into this religious debate. And Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. When I was a young Christian, I'd hear that, and I thought that was two different things. But I realize now they're not, not only not mutually exclusive, but you can't have one without the other. If you're going to worship him in spirit, it's going to be in truth. And if you're going to worship him in truth, it's going to be by his spirit. And so he said that's how we have to worship, not on the mountain, not on the temple. It's okay to do that. But that isn't what God's confined to, because time isn't limited him, so it, he's not—worship isn't limited to a one-hour segment on Sunday morning. God is everywhere, so it's not limited to a location. And a a building on a corner somewhere. And if we we need locations
1: and we need temples and we need mountains and we need rituals, that means we're not experiencing an authentic relationship with God. Because if the authentic relationship exists, which is what Jesus means when he says in spirit, the other things just don't matter. We might still want to do it in a temple or a mountain, but those are sidebars.
0: They're not necessary. You can go, uh, because, you know, I'm familiar with San Diego. I lived there half my life. You can go up there to Palomar Mountain or just up into the hills and get into quiet and the trees and the sky. And I can worship God in those places or go down to sunset cliffs, watch as the sun sets. I know it doesn't literally go into the. You know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah,
1: actually, I hope it still is green when you get here. It's been <laughs> raining cats and dogs. It looks like Ireland here in San Diego. But we just uh, so I've heard. we just had four or five back-to-back days of heat again. I just hope a week from now when you get here, it's still green. Jim, I'm going to well, pray I- for rain just for you. I'm going to pray that it continues to rain so that it stays green. Well, gee, and you can thanks see. a lot. You won't, Well, thanks not on your flight. Not on your flight. <laughs> I'm telling you, I wish it would rain year long just for the way it looks so green
0: here. Well, then move to Oregon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say that then I have to live under the People's Republic of Oregon, but since I'm already in the People's Republic of California, I imagine it doesn't make a whole lot of difference.
0: Yeah, not much better. But I can worship in those places sometimes more easily than when I'm in a building surrounded by people with a bunch of stuff going on. To to commune with God, and, and I think that was part of David's, secret. He was out there tending sheep, and he was alone with God. And I think that was part of the depth of his character. He certainly was a flawed character, but he was a man after God's own heart. And I think he got to know God's heart. Yeah, I'm an
1: outdoor person, too. At night, I like to go out in my backyard and walk around and look up at the stars. I love taking walks through mountains or around lakes. I'm an outdoor yeah. person, too. But still, we have to tell ourselves we can be with God wherever. We may be thrown yeah, in absolutely. prison for our faith someday. We may not be able to go outside anymore, but God will still be there with us.
0: Wherever you go, that's a fact. And that's because God is everywhere. Now, Jesus said quite a few things about truth. One of the great things that he said was he promised his disciples, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. What a great promise. It's not incumbent upon me to try to dig and figure it all out. God sends his spirit to help me find truth. And here's another statement for you. Truth is never invented. It's only discovered. It's revealed to us. You don't have to try to go out and connive and figure it out and make up stuff. And I don't mind, you know, I think it's okay to use your imagination. I love creativity and people that come up with stuff. I love math. But even math is something that, people discover. It's a reality. Exactly. Math
1: isn't invented. It's discovered. And that's why it's so important when people say, oh, the Bible can mean whatever you decide it means. Just pray about it and Mm -hmm. see what it means to you. And my response to that is always, well, then why did God bother to give it to us? What was his purpose in giving us the Bible if we were meant to just sit around and dream up God any old way we wanted to?
0: Well, and that's kind of where we're at as a society. It's whatever you want to believe whatever you feel, and that isn't really how the Bible describes things to us.
1: And people would be more intellectually it. honest at that point to just say, okay, I don't really believe in the Bible, but they try to have their cake and eat it too. They want the tradition that, of the Bible, <clears throat> and they want to claim they're following the Bible, but they don't really want to follow the Bible, so they reinvent it, and they put words in its mouth.
0: And that's a key thing, that, to be honest, to be honest. and you talk, At least an honest person would say, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure. But when they make absolute statements about things not being absolute, I, I had this conversation with my neighbor one time. He said, I don't believe anything is absolute. And I said, you just made an absolute statement.
1: Yeah, you just say, is that your opinion about absolute truth, or are you saying yeah. it absolutely? And he goes, well, I'm saying it absolutely.
0: And Jesus said that the Spirit will lead you and guide you into truth. So truth is revealed. So why doesn't everyone know the truth? If it's there, it's out there, why doesn't everybody know or understand the truth?
1: Well, the Bible uh, gives us that answer, but I have a habit of stealing your thunder, so I'm going to let you give the answer, Jim.
0: No, well if you were going to quote 1 Corinthians it says the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. Well actually I there. was not going to quote
1: that one. I was going to quote oh. from John, not first John but oh. the Gospel of John. He says the light was coming into the world but men loved the darkness more than the light yes. because their deeds were evil.
0: Another yeah and that see that is the insight. If the truth frightens you because you realize you're in trouble when confronted with the truth then you have two options you can change your life or change your belief system and that's really where the problem has been people they don't like the truth they don't like to let because it exposes them and so you can either repent and change and submit to god or you can say well i just don't believe it and uh, make up your own truth however it even happens with christians i mean we, we can't agree on anything we've got and, i mean the catholics and protestants have killed each other over years you know in, in wars So even Christians don't agree about what is true. I think Jesus addressed that when he was having it out with the Pharisees one time. He said, you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down. And that's really where the problem with denominationalism and and, uh, uh, arguing about doctrines and traditions and things in church, we strayed away from the hard, straight truth of the gospel and added our own twist on things or said, well, you know, here's a story. I was pastoring a church and, I, and we were in a board meeting and I was saying, now, we've got to figure out when there are things that traditions that we have that can kind of take a back seat so that we can accomplish our goal and our vision and carry out the things God's called us to do. And there's some traditions that aren't worth holding on to. And, and a guy said, this is no lie. The guy said in the meeting, well, it's not tradition. It's just the way I've always done it.
1: <laughs> it's not tradition it's just well you know tradition
0: yeah i said run that by me again because i do not think that word means what you think it means <laughs> Well,
1: Well, and when the Pharisees would argue with Jesus about the law, people say, well, see, so the Bible's obviously not clear. That's not true. The Bible was clear. But when the Pharisees accused Jesus of disobeying the law, he wasn't disobeying the written Torah that came from Moses. He was disobeying the Talmud that came from their traditions. They came up with this idea that they were going to reinterpret it and tell us what it truly meant. That's what Jesus was taking issue with. So it's not really a problem with the Bible. It's a problem with these man-made fences that people keep putting around. Around the
0: Bible. Exactly, exactly, and we even do that in modern church culture. Oh, all the time. We have, as you know, I retired from the church I was at for twenty years downtown San Antonio, and I would get a call once in a while. I'd get, I'd get a call. It's usually an older person, and often an old woman, and she would say, "Well, now, what do you believe?" Or, you know, which Bible do you use? Do you preach the Word? Do you preach the word? <laughs> and, and I would just cut to the chase and say, okay, what's the litmus test here? Yeah, it means is there's it some tongues? pet
1: subject of hers yeah. that she's interested
0: yeah. in. Yeah, is, is it speaking in tongues? Is it the rapture? Is it eternal security? What, what's the thing you really get into? And, and uh, because if that's what's important to you, you're probably not going to like my church anyway. Even if I agree with your litmus test, if you're narrowing it down to these little pet things uh, it's probably not the church for you. And you that's what Jesus would have down. called
1: straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel.
0: Exactly. But we do that today. You know, we have all these disagreements, we have all these different interpretations. So then, is truth absolute or not? Is it universal? If something is God's truth, is it truth in every situation for every person? I think I well, know it about.
1: is, except that people believe what they want to believe. And I believe that we're going to be back after this break. <laughs> You're listening to The Bob right. Siegel Show. Not sure when to try an unusual novel? Let the customers speak for themselves. Here's another Amazon customer review for Bob Siegel's latest book, The Dangerous Christmas Ornament. While there is nothing in this book that would stop you from giving it to or reading it to your kids, this book will certainly hold an adult's interest as well. The Dangerous Christmas Ornament has it all. Magic, talking cats, bullies who get their comeuppance, fun dialogue, and a good story. Do not let the title fool you. While Christmas does play a prominent role, this is really not a Christmas story, and it can be read at any time of the year. The Dangerous Christmas Ornament... Available on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Always good to be joined by my good friend,
0: Jim Barrier. You know, as I was listening to that break, I thought, just for the sake, for that listener out there who's been listening to this show, we're talking about truth and absolute truth, and then we have a promo for a book, The Dangerous Christmas Ornament," which I have read, and it's a great book, and you say, well, then, then how can you have a talking cat and, and <laughs> And talk about magic, or push around the winds, How, time travel? These are fictional yes, works, and folks.
1: they're called fictional.
0: And Jesus told parables, and you can't take the characters and incidents. Literally, he was illustrating something. So I just, I wanted to uh, come to your defense there, just in case, just <laughs> in case. Anyway, they're great books, folks. Any of Bob's stuff. Is well, thank you, worth. boy,
1: Jim. You're kind of in the role of my agent tonight.
0: Well, well, in fact, since you've I retired from
1: your church, this could become a permanent <laughs> gig for you, Jim. We might just have something here.
0: Well, take a number. There's a lot of people in line <laughs> for that. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to make another statement again. I'm bringing a few of my uh, barrierisms, which, of course, I didn't make up. Truth isn't invented; it's only discovered. So here's one: knowledge equals responsibility. When truth is revealed to you. Now you're accountable to do something with it. Now, here's a quote. Somebody tell me who said, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, that line uh, I know Jesus said to whom
1: much is given, much will be required, which is similar,
0: uh-huh. if, similar to that. It, you know, it was repopularized in the Spider-Man films. Oh, okay. Power. okay. But it's been attributed to Voltaire, Teddy Roosevelt, Winston Churchill. But Jesus said to whoever much is given from his much will be required. Faithful with little given much, that type of thing. So Jesus actually instituted that concept that with great power comes great responsibility, and with great revelation of truth becomes great moral responsibility. And I don't think that God is required or obligated to reveal any new truth until you've done something about what he's already shown you. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think some people get stunted because they just weren't obedient to what he already revealed to them. I, there's a great old story. I don't know if it actually happened, but it's kind of church folklore, preacher folklore. The new pastor was elected. He came into church and he preached a great sermon and everybody loved it. And the next week, he got up and he preached the same sermon. And the third week, he preached the same sermon over. And, and then finally, a, a guy came up and said, Pastor, Why don't you preach something new? We've heard this message three times. And he said, I will when you do something about the first one. (laughs) That's right.
1: You haven't obeyed the last sermon. Why should I preach in the yeah?
0: And I think God is kind of of that mindset. He says, look, I've showed you some things here, starting processes, and you got to do that first. Um, You know, Brandon and I are, are baseball fans. The Padres won today, folks. Rah, rah, the Padres won. You can't hit the ball and run to second. You got to go to first base, then you go to second, then you go to third, and then you can come home. And truth is that way. You have to take things in the order that God reveals them to you. When you do something with it, then he'll give you more, and it will grow. I used to marvel when I was a young believer. I was actually young once, Bob. Really? I'd meet these guys. Yeah. And I'd love it. I'd meet some old guy, and he said, I've been a Christian for 30 years. And I think, wow. Wow. Well, now the pressure's on me. I became a believer in 1968. So this is just a thing for the listeners out there. Do something with what God already told you. Do the last thing he told you to do, and then he'll tell you the next thing. If you don't understand something, study, pray, and ask him to reveal it to you. And when he does, then act on it and incorporate it into your lifestyle and uh, your daily walk. And I think that's a real key to gaining truth. Now, is the Bible true? want to wrap up with that because you do an awful lot of work in apologetics what do you say to someone when they the old thing eh, it's been handed down it's translated it's, it's written by man what's your answer to that bob
1: well i would say yes it was written by men but the men claimed to be inspired by god i would say it's corroborated by other ancient history by archaeology by fulfilled mm-hmm. prophecy could go
0: on and on Yeah, but it's a cliche thing, and and the problem is people hear that stuff, they're parroting what someone else said. Right, and and they say, well, this
1: is what scholars say, and I correct them. I say, no, that is what some scholars say. There are many scholars who authenticate the
0: Bible. There are, and I have, again, I have books on my shelf that I've read. I've read books by Henry Morris, F.F. Bruce, R.A. Torrey. The apologists like C.S. Lewis, who we mentioned, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel's recently, and, and your works. There's plenty of stuff out there. If you want to validate it, you can find the stuff. The problem is people don't, they, I think, again, they don't want to know that the Bible is true. No, it's, it's not
1: really Uh-oh. an academic barrier. It's a moral barrier. God can take exactly. care of the academia like that. The question I always ask people is if you knew it was true, would you follow it?
0: That's exactly the point. Try it out. Read it. And you can get a hold of me. You can get a hold of Bob. I've always told people, if you have a question, ask me. And if I don't know the answer, I'll be honest and say, I don't know the answer, but let's sit down and study and find an answer because I know it's in there. I believe the Bible. I I told a friend of mine recently, a missionary friend, I'm thinking of starting a new church. I'm going to call it the first Jurassic Church for all of us dinosaurs (laughs) who who still believe the Bible is true and Jesus is who he claimed to be. But I do. I believe it. I believe the Bible. I think there are some things you've got to dig in a little bit to understand because it was written so long ago, and we need to understand the languages and the culture and stuff. But I believe it's true, and I think it's applicable and relevant today. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) At this point... I've invested over 50 years. It's too late to change my mind. Well,
1: and like the Apostle Paul said, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then we are to be most pitied because we based our life on the, I'm not going to say belief, on the conviction that he did rise (coughs) from the dead. If this was not true, then I would not be wasting my time coming on the air once or twice a week. And the
0: resurrection is a central issue, as well as, who is Jesus. Exactly.
1: That's what it's all about. And if Jesus really rose from the dead, then he is who he claims to be, and what he teaches is true, and what he believes is true. Well, Jim, I will look forward to having you here incarnate in the studio in person next week.
0: Next week? Awesome. Okay, Bob.
1: All right. Well, until then, my friends, we will see you next time. This is Bob Siegel making the obvious obvious.
0: Bob Siegel Show Podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and cross global media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com/slash bob.